Well, we're going to go ahead and continue on in our series entitled The Names of God today. You'll notice that we have roundtables actually out, which is a little bit different than normal. I'm going to give a short and about a 15-minute message, and then we're going to sit and talk about um, what the Lord has showed us in the little teaching time that we have here. So one of, there's a saying about God, a theological saying about God that I love, and it's that God is both incomprehensible and yet he is knowable. That God is incomprehensible, and yet he is knowable. We're never going to get to the point with God, in our relationship with God, where you're like, I kind of got to the end of that. I think I'm good. I kind of know who this God is, right? I've walked with him most of my life, and I think I, I kind of got the picture of who he is, right? That there's this concept that he's always incomprehensible to us. And yet, God is knowable. In fact, Paul In Philippians, he says that the goal of life should be to know Christ, to know him more and more. So we can learn about him, and yet there's this other side. And so we believe here that as we talk about God's different names, his attributes, over this series, we're going to learn more about God. We're going to know him deeper. So last week we talked about the name of God, Yahweh Yira, also pronounced Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. And we took a look at this word, yira, and what that means. It's actually the Hebrew word for see. And that when it says that God provides, I am your provider, that he's really saying that I see you. How many of you just want to be seen by God, right? How many of you, when we go through life, have you ever felt like, God, do you even see me? I am your provider. I am who sees you and who provides for you. Well, today we're taking a look at another name that God actually gives himself And this name is Yahweh Rofi. Another name that it could be, um, another translation is Jehovah Rapha or Jehovah Rafka. And this is the Lord who heals. Yahweh, I am, and Rofi, which is healer, repairer, restorer. I am your healer. So what we're going to do is, we're going to go ahead and t- look, take a look at a passage in Exodus 15 where this happens. Before we get to the story, I want to give some quick background for where we find ourselves in Exodus. We found out several weeks ago when we opened the series that God gave his personal name, I Am. He gave that name to uh, Moses at the story of the burning bush. And in this time where he reveals his personal name, he asks Moses to do something pretty crazy. He says, I want you to go to the most powerful person in the world at the time, and I want you to ask to to let my people go, to free all of these slaves. So Moses goes, and there's a wrestling match between God and the most powerful person on the world, Pharaoh. And through this wrestling match, there are ten plagues that happen, and God's power is just displayed on earth. At the very end... Pharaoh says, I will go ahead and let and free the slaves. And so you have, the scripture tells us, hundreds of thousands of these Israelites leaving Egypt, being set free from slavery and bondage. And they're on their way to the promised land. Well, it didn't take Pharaoh very long to realize, hey, this isn't such a great idea. We lose all of our labor, um, and this is going to impact our economy. So he decides to send his chariots and his army after these Israelites. And they're in this big valley. In front of them is the Red Sea, a place that they cannot cross, right? Can't swim across it. You have all your animals. You have all your supplies. You have everything. 
There's nothing you can do. You're at a dead end. And then on this side, you actually have Pharaoh's army, the mightiest army in the world at the time, pursuing after you. Moses gets up. He does one of the most powerful miracles in the entire Bible. And he parts the Red Sea. Israelites walk through to safety, and the Red Sea uh, falls back over, over Pharaoh's uh, men. And it's such an amazing victory. And then we see in Exodus 15, this huge worship service. Can you imagine seeing that? I mean, the power displayed in that moment and how thankful you would be. They have an amazing worship service where they sing songs and they shout prayers and just celebrate. And then that leads us into our story now. They just saw God's provision, right? That God saw them and provided for them. And now they're going to go and move into this very next name. Exodus 15, verses 22. We're going to go ahead and read. It says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. Marah meaning bitterness. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? So you can imagine this. You're on a journey. You ever been hiking before in the desert? How much water do you drink when you're hiking in the desert, right? A lot. So they're hiking in the desert, and you can't find water for three days. The only water you have is the water that you took from Egypt with you. And as they have animals, they have livestock, hundreds of thousands of people for their family. So when we read this, this is a really big deal, not finding water for three days. It's easy to just kind of skip over the um, tremendous amount of problems that the Israelites are facing now. You can imagine after the first day when all your water reserves are gone because you're drinking way more than you normally do and saying, hey, God, like, I know you just did that big miracle with water. I believe that you're going to do something here, but just so you know, we're all pretty stinking thirsty, right? Day two, all right, Yahweh, uh, what, 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 where are we at here? Like, we, we now have no more water, and, you know, animals are beginning to fall over. Like, like, what are we going to do? And then day three, you're at the point where you were just dying of thirst, and you were just crying out, like, if I don't find water here in the next several hours, maybe the next 12 or 24 hours, like, we're all dead. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to die here. It's a dire situation where we're at. And then all of a sudden, you see water in the distance. How would you feel? Like, right, water, you realize, man, I'm going to live. This is amazing. And everyone begins to take off towards the water only when you're a couple hundred yards away, you begin to smell something, right? You begin to realize, like, I'm not so sure this water smells <laughs> is really good, right? It's bitter. The other week, or this past week, uh, Gunnar and I, we went fishing kind of over near the tide flats, and we were driving by. Ever been driving by the, the tide flats and smell that aroma of Tacoma? Yeah. So we're, we're driving by, and all of a sudden, we're in my truck, me and him, about ready to go fishing, the gunner looks over me and he's like, Dad! Which, and I'm like, dude, not me, totally you. I know what the aroma of Tacoma is. And I had to tell him what the aroma of Tacoma was. Like, this is just, this just kind of happens, right? But it's just powerful, right? Something that smells that bad. So they're going to this place called bitterness. And this water, humans and animals can drink some pretty putrid stuff, right? When you are dying of thirst. But can you imagine coming to a place where the water is so bad 
so disgusting you can't even drink it. It would make you sick. And they're sitting here and just, what are we going to do? We are at the end of our rope. This place is disgusting. There, we are at the place of bitterness. And they begin to grumble. This is a phrase that is used for the very first time, three days after they get set free, that will be used over and over and over and over and over again in Israel's history, where they begin to grumble. It's a way that they begin to kind of rebel against God. And they go to Moses and say, what the heck? What's going on here? And so it's in this moment that we see a miracle and God reveal his name to us. Let's read verse 25. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Everyone say wood. Yeah, that's going to be important. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling, an instruction for them, and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases that I brought on the Egyptians. For I am Yahweh Rophi. For I am healer. For I am who I am is your deliverer, the one who restores. You know, the passage is so rich with what's happening here. So literally here where it says, I am the Lord, you'll notice that Lord is in all caps. Whenever you see Lord in all caps, it means it's his sacred name, Yahweh, or I am. So it literally says, I, it says for Yahweh Rophi. The Lord, I am, who's your healer. So a couple quick observations before we discuss this passage and what God is doing. Um, one of the things, a theme that we see picked up in the New Testament that comes over and over and over again, it's a uh, picture where you have uh, what happened through the Israelites and Moses being freed from slavery, going to the promised land is uh, kind of imagery of what happens with us in Christ, Right? All of us, we are slaves to sin, and then Christ comes and sets us free, and we move to the promised land. We move to that next level. In fact, it's really fascinating. Uh, the New Testament authors pick up on the theme of crossing into the Red Sea, and they tie that into baptism, actually. They actually talk about how when we are sins and we be received Christ into our lives, we then are baptized into the waters the same way that the Israelites walked through the water of the Red Sea as they received their salvation through crossing through the waters, crossing through that to the promised land. That's the same way that we receive salvation through Christ signified by his baptism. But even though they've been set free from slavery and they're on this path, this Red Sea going forward, they still got to hang out in the desert, Right? While they've been set free, does that mean that there's no more hardship? They've still got their time of wandering. I think that this also resonates with me in our lives as people on earth. We can receive Christ, even have amazing miracles, things that happen to us that we can't explain, healed us and moved, but yet we still encounter Mara. We still encounter those places of bitterness. We still encounter those places of disgust. And I, I love here that at the time that the Israelites 
were at their lowest, facing death, facing fear, in the face of just this disgust. It's at that moment that Yahweh revealed who he really is. I am your restorer. I am the one who makes whole what has been incomplete. Such a beautiful picture. In fact, it makes me think that those who were there at that story might not have ever seen this character, this name of God, if they hadn't walked through the struggles that they were actually in. That it's the time of our lowest when Yahweh reveals himself to us that we then experience his saving grace. Another amazing uh, picture of imagery here in this story. Last week I talked about a story um, where Abraham and Isaac um, were going up a mountain and God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And you're like, what the heck? That's such a weird story. And explain how that story is really pointing to Jesus, right? This idea of sacrificing your only son, right, as a method of salvation. In the same way that story points to Jesus, this story here also points to Jesus. I mentioned that idea, that piece of wood that was thrown into the water, right, that was there. It was like this instrument of wood, this big tree was thrown into water, and to make something that was uninhabitable, something that was dirty, clean. Right? Well, what else do we know, this imagery? What other piece of wood or large tree that was used as an instrument to bring God's restoration power to what was dirty and made clean? Right? The cross. In fact, what's fascinating is that in the uh, Septuagint, that's a translation of the Old Testament into Greek, when they translated this word wood, that Greek word is the same Greek word that they'll use in the New Testament to describe the cross, meaning wood, plank. It's not a little piece of wood. It's actually almost like a tree. It's this big thing that was thrown in there. And it's just such an amazing power that what Jesus does through the cross, through his sacrifice that he did, brings freedom. In fact, there's a prophecy in Isaiah 53 that I want to read. It's a prophecy about the Messiah who would one day come. And it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. It's through his sacrifice that allows us to experience that healing. That place of bitterness of Mara was changed into a place of sweet water. Life-saving water. That through that little piece of wood that was thrown, of course, I don't know if Moses knew what he's doing, that he's pointing to Jesus, that through that piece of wood thrown into a place that was inhospitable, changed it immediately to a place of salvation where his people were saved because of that piece of wood. And that's something that Jesus did constantly. An angel just got its wings. What else? What... um, Jesus did constantly when he was on earth. He seemed to do three things every single time he went to a new place. He preached the gospel, he healed the sick, and he delivered those who were oppressed. Then he went to the next place, preached the gospel, healed the sick, freed those who were oppressed. And then he sent out 12 of his disciples to do the same thing. What are the three things he asked them to do? Preach the gospel, heal the sick, free the oppressed. Then he sent out 72 people. What did he ask them to do? Preach the gospel, heal the sick, free those who are oppressed. Kind of who Jesus is, I think perfectly exemplifies Yahweh Rofi, your healer. 
And then lastly, before we go and we split into our groups and talk, um, I think something that is fascinating to me about this passage, there are lots of places in the Old Testament where Yahweh got healed. Lots of places, physically healed people. You'll notice that in the story where he reveals himself, the character that he reveals himself as, that I am your healer, that there was no physical healing that actually came about in this story. What happened in the story is that what was bitter, what was poisoned, was made clean. It was in that moment that Yahweh said, I am your healer. I am your restorer. I think sometimes when we talk and think about being healed, we can be very quick to think about that physical healing, right? The physical ailment. And I think that makes sense. We believe in a God who heals us physically. Amen? Like, we believe in that. We pray. I've seen it with my eyes. I've seen miraculous healings take place. We should always contend for that. But in looking at the experience, I said, God, why did you choose to reveal yourself as the healer in a story where no one got physically healed? Instead, what was, made, what was bitter was made sweet. That the salvation came from taking something that was inhospitable and full of disgust into something that was just miraculous. And so this morning, I think for us, as we spend some time getting together and praying together through this, I think that we should expand, try to expand our mind a little bit about what healing through Christ actually means. This name of God, Yahweh Rofi, I am healer. That I'm going to ask you to sit and reflect on what are those areas of your life that are just bitter? What in your life, when you think about, when you reflect on, you are just faced with this feeling of disgust that you can't even address it. Maybe there are areas of your life you choose to completely ignore because it just is so painful for you to go to. God's been speaking to me a lot on this um, this past week. I even, as I started preparing the sermon and I was thinking about healer. I was like, all right, some things that I want to do, I want to make sure that we're praying for each other for physical healing, right? And I was going through and thinking about that. And one of the questions that I have, oh, I don't have the sheets of paper that uh, I know. I just realized I don't have these questions. Can someone go? I'm pretty sure I printed them out, and they're on right here. Look at that. Teamwork makes a dream work. If you don't have those, let me know, and we'll see. Um, I knew that there was a time that I wanted to ask people to pray for healing. And in this moment, I'm like, oh, well, when it comes time for me to go sit down at a table, what, look at that. I'm going to give Kurt a hand. Look at that. If you can go ahead and pass out about four copies per table. These are the questions that you're going to go over. I began to sit and pray about God. Well, what is it that when, I, when it comes time for me to share at the table, like what is it you want me to pray for healing for, right? I mean, God's blessed me where I've don't really have a lot of um, areas in life that I feel like I need to contend for healing for myself in. What are some areas that I really need to move with? But as I began to pray, and as I began to kind of scratch my head, and I don't really know what I'm going to share, God has just been speaking to me about this idea of bitterness, and this idea of Mara, and this idea of 
finding through places of disgust. And so I want to share what the Holy Spirit was beginning to show me. The Holy Spirit was beginning to kind of reveal to me some areas that I needed to share. And my hope is by sharing this, that maybe it'll help expand some ideas for you as we begin to think and pray about what uh, healing and bitterness means. These past several months um, for me and our family have kind of been tough. It's just summer is a busy time, right? Going back to school and doing everything else. And I found that there's just been a lot of kind of stress and anxiety on just me as a pastor kind of going through. Um, obviously in dealing with a lot of that stress and anxiety, something that I do and I struggle with a lot is overeating, almost kind of this binge eating thing that I do. Um, And it's something that um, I don't ever really talk about all that much. And I think a lot of the reason why I don't talk about it is because uh, I've always, I've been overweight most of my life and have struggled with binge eating and using that to kind of, um, I don't know, quiet my anxiety for a long time. But For those who don't kind of struggle with it, it's kind of a weird kind of sin or issue to share with because it's like if I share like, hey, yeah, I've struggled with binge eating, I think that people try to make, it's almost kind of like some socially acceptable sin. Like, ah, you know what? Yeah, last week I I overrated a thing and I totally get it, you know, but like for me, it's, it's really turned into this problem that I have because it is something that instead of going to God, I'll use overeating and it impacts my health, and it impacts my view of myself, my self-worth, who I am in Christ, and being overweight and dealing with this and struggling with it is really hard. Sometimes I wish it was something a little bit, you know, more destructive of a sin, like pornography. If I were to admit, hey guys, you know, to the church council, hey guys, three times last week I looked at pornography, I think very quickly they would intervene and try to get me help. But if I say, yeah, I kind of binged eight, it's just kind of like, well, you can kind of move on. And As I'm beginning to walk through, I have this huge bitterness area in my life. And it didn't take me until the very end of the week when I'm saying, God, I I just have nothing in my life that I need to get healed from. There's just nothing there. And the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and saying, you know, you have this huge, massive area of your life that you're just really not wanting to address or even really talk about. Do you believe that I can heal that bitter part in your life there? Can you let me in? and deal with some of this area in your life. It really expanded my view that when we go to God and we believe that Yahweh, Rofi, that he is our restorer, it's every area of our life, whether we think he can heal us or not. I want to take a moment. We're going to talk, the first question is talk a little bit about healing and what we've seen in the past with healing And then the very next question, what what we're going to do is I'm going to ask everybody to begin to pray and to share areas of bitterness, areas that you need healing. It very well may be a physical healing moment, but maybe like me, it's an area that you don't really know how to share or to talk about. I've been praying a lot this week. It's hard. It's hard to be vulnerable and talk to people you don't know very well through a mask in a loud room. But I believe the Holy Spirit will be able to pierce all of that. We even have, on every single table, we have a little bottle of anointing oil, too, that I'm going to ask that we begin to pray for people and that we begin to see breakthrough in this. And if what you're struggling with just feel like you can't get to the point where we can actually share in this environment, I totally understand. Do me a favor. Fill out a prayer request form on our website. Um, 
or come talk, we actually have on our new board out here a prayer request. Fill out that information, and we will have a prayer team come, and we can schedule a time where you can come in and just get prayed for and receive some of this breakthrough to understand who Yahweh Rofi is. That's my prayer, that all of us would be able to understand who God who heals is. So let's go ahead and take a moment, turn to some of those around you, and let's go through this and prepare our hearts for what God wants to do through healing. Um, in this. And we do have, if you're hard of hearing, I know that Rachel is hard of hearing. Uh, she's going to lead actually a group in the office. If you want to move into the office, you can go ahead and do that with her um, when we dismiss. Um, but let's go ahead and take a moment and just talk about who Yahweh Arofi is. Belize.